You're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beeky, back with an episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Cynthia Biasis. She is from Northern Kentucky, the founder and director of Health Connections Direct Primary Care, and she helps people access personalized primary care in a membership model so they can have the time that they need to get the results that they want. That sounds like it's very aligned with being for the health of all things. I'm so glad to have you here with me today. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, about your journey into medicine and how you moved into this space in direct primary care. So I went to med school um, back in 1995 to 99. I went to Wright State Medical School in Dayton, and I picked that med school because I was primarily interested in doing primary care. And that school had a focus on that, and that was the direction I wanted to go. And then after residency, um, oh, I had a great mentor at Wright State. His name was Dr. Gary Leroy. And um, I did rotation with him out at East Dayton Health Center, was interested in working in community health centers back at that point in time, and came down to residency here in Northern Kentucky. I went to St. Elizabeth and um, finished residency back in 2002. I... Went, had my first practice um, at a hospital employed center. I was there for two years. Then I did urgent care for a year. And then the rest of my career since 2005 has been spent um, working in the community health center system um, up until three years ago when I uh, left to open a direct primary care practice. Yes. And what led you to do that? So oftentimes where we're trying to solve a problem when we move outside the system and do our own thing, was there something that was really calling you into direct primary care? Yeah, it was, it was really the access part. Um, one of the things that's really broken about our healthcare system is that patients a lot of times have trouble getting in when they need to get in to be seen. Or when they do get in, they may wait for a long time to get mm-hmm. back to get seen, and then they just have a rushed appointment, you know. And I really wanted to be able to address people more holistically. And I didn't feel that the system was set up in a way that allowed me to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's one of those things you, you try to make suggestions and to try to make ch- make change. But when you're part of a system, as opposed to having your own practice, you're a little more limited in terms of how you could do that. So mm-hmm. opening my direct primary care practice allowed me to set things up in a way that I felt like I could care pa- for patients the way they needed to be taken care of. Yeah, that's so important and notable to see that you try, right? So there's ways you see what you can do within the system. And then if you keep butting up against limitations and barriers, you decide, okay, it's time to create something on my own. And tell us a little bit more about direct primary care in general, and then about yours more specifically. 
Okay, so direct primary care is a membership model of medicine that is really designed to be accessible to most folks, okay? Um, most offices charge probably less than about half of what concierge practices do um, with some similar benefits in terms of longer appointments. Um, most people may schedule like a half an hour for a follow-up visit with me as opposed to like getting the 10 or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, they can generally get in the same or next business day. And those are pretty similar tenants for, for most primary, direct primary care practices across the country. Um, we do not bill insurance in addition. Okay. So people, once they sign up for the direct primary care practice, they are able to predict what their primary care expenses are going to be. And that allows them to seek care when they need it, as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to, um, see if things are bad enough to justify, you know, going in. Um, we also do texting and telemedicine visits even before COVID. We were doing mm-hmm. telemedicine. And so patients had improved access that way um, to their docs. Um, because as far as in the traditional system, if somebody would, you know, try to do a telemed visit with you because they have a question that may take five minutes, and they don't want to take off a half day of work to come talk to you about it, right? Mm-hmm. We couldn't really do that historically because we weren't getting reimbursed for that. Whereas mm-hmm. the direct primary care model, that monthly membership fee includes your texting, your telemed visits, your office visits. So it really takes a lot of that thought process out of it and allows patients to access care in the way that they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we don't I'm, always I'm, consider that burden, right? Where that added stress of thinking that through, right? Can I afford my copay today? Is the timing going to work? Can I take off work to get there, right? It's not just yeah. see your doctor. And we often can think in medicine of noncompliance, right? Or why this patient didn't follow up sooner. And there could be a whole lot of reasons, right? That aren't oh, yeah. just, they're not willing to do the work or to show up, right? We can forget yeah. those pieces there. I mean, that, that's that's one thing that was really, I became very aware of as far as for working in the community health centers is um, a lot of those patients, um, had a lot more barriers than, than most folks would just sort of think about, whether it's childcare or transportation or getting off work. And um, I'm serving a slightly different population now because I had a non-compete and I had mm-hmm. to move back across the river and start the practice, you know, from scratch. Um, but I, I think the basic idea of people having barriers to care, no matter what socioeconomic status they're from, um, mm-hmm. is, is a real barrier for folks. I think that's really important to notice. And for us in osteopathic medicine, and I love that we're going to go into this too, because your origins and wanting to dedicate yourself to primary care is one of kind of the key principles of modern osteopathic medicine, right? Most osteopathic medical schools, that's their mission is how many can we fuel into that. And Mm -hmm. for me, it's not DOMD, right? It's who's embracing osteopathic philosophy. And I hear so much of that in your work and in previous discussions we've had, but noticing the idea of removing barriers to health, you know, so in my practice, you know, I do hands-on care and we remove restrictions, you know, literally in the body. We look at something that's rotated and we rotate it back to neutral. But I've always noticed that it's really the barriers everywhere between the patient and their health. And that is, like you said, mm-hmm. childcare, you know, and removing that and transportation and finances. So removing those barriers is super osteopathic to me. And hearing you say that and finding solutions to it, right? Opening up that conduit so the health can reign free, you know, is so important. And have you found that happening right now that you have reclaimed that control over how you can create your practice 
is that happening for your patients? You're seeing them more frequently, like they're coming to their follow-up? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, patients are, yeah. And one of the other uh, tenets of um, direct primary care is um, transparency as far as in prices. And that's one thing that I love being able to offer my patients. Um, I have what is called um, client billing prices. And with that, what that means is if somebody doesn't want to use their insurance or if they don't have insurance, um, they can access my client billing prices. So with that, um, I have a, I belong to a GPO, a group purchasing organization. Um, and so I have reduced prices that the GPO has negotiated as far as the flat core, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm able to pass a lot of those savings on to my patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have, remember the one lady um, who <laughs> she had not been to see a doctor for her diabetes in about a year because the last time she went, she had had a surprise lab bill of over $500. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, you know, she just really hadn't gone in to follow up because she was still paying on the last bill and she didn't want another, another huge surprise bill. And I was able to kind of go over with her in advance. It's like, okay, well, you don't have insurance. That's fine. I can take care of you. You know, about half of my patients don't have insurance. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was able to go through her in terms of these are the things I recommend, you know, that you do. And this is what it'll cost. Is that something you can work with? And she was really surprised. And she was able to get all the labs that I recommended. And it was like a tenth of the cost of mm-hmm. what her previous lab bill had been. And she was just so happy. Yeah, that's really huge. Cool. And you know, we've actually, my family is enrolled in a direct primary care here in Northwest Michigan. And that transparency is so refreshing because, you know, I've been there too, where you go and you think you paid your bill, you know, and then like six weeks oh, later, yeah. you get another bill from somewhere else. And you're thinking, well, what's happening? Right. And I'm in the healthcare system. And even then, right. I have to track yeah. back and think what actually happened. And, you know, and then you almost feel like you're in trouble a little bit, like you're getting this like punishment after the fact, or it's sneaky. And being able to know upfront, and like you said, so somebody could budget, right? They could plan for it. She could maybe get a few of the tests, right? And then get a few more. And just to know, again, alleviates that stressor. We always think about allostatic yeah. load and kind of these invisible things that are weighing on us in that, right? Knowing, well, I went to the doctor and I hope in the next two months, you know, I don't get this bill that's going to mm-hmm. make me have to choose between, you know, food and paying this debt. So that's yeah. really huge. Now, it sounds a little bit like too good to be true, right? So more time, you know, less expensive labs and, you know, the whole thing costs less. Like what's the catch, you know, where might the shoe drop or is it really as good as it sounds? <laughs> I mean, I think it is. That's why I'm doing it. Um, I mean, it's not insurance. There's some people that get confused with that, um, and, but it's, it's not insurance. It's a, another method of providing primary care. Um, it doesn't cover because it's not insurance like hospitalizations or, you know, going to see an orthopedist, you know, if you have mm-hmm. that kind of thing um, that needs. Um, so, I mean, I guess there is, there is that downside. Um, but, oh, and if somebody um, has a high deductible plan, um, it, it does not go towards the deductible. So that's another question that I get sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some restrictions that are somewhat state dependent. Um, for example, in the state of Kentucky, it's really weird, but um, two governors ago, um, they put something in place saying that patients with Medicaid were not allowed to pay for their own health care, mm-hmm. which is crazy, crazy in my mind, because mm-hmm. if somebody with Medicaid wants to pay for more personalized care and to have the time that they want, it, to me, it's really horrible that they shouldn't be allowed to do that. Um, I've been to Frankfurt a couple of times with some other drug primary care docs to try to make changes with that. I've talked to the Medicaid commissioner and we have gotten nowhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, 
that's one challenge as far as in Kentucky, but as far as I'm aware, it's just Kentucky and Colorado that are the two states that have issues with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not opted out of Medicare. Um, mm-hmm. so that's another thing, but that's just me particularly, which means if somebody has Medicare, unfortunately I can't take care of them. Um, because I'm not opted out. Yeah. And that's because, yeah, it's, it's a long story. It gets kind of complicated. Um, it's because mm-hmm. I have another job that may need me to use Medicare. So it is Medicare tricky. I, yeah. I've been in that same place and it is a fine line of when you make that leap, you know, and when yeah. you're bridging two worlds, you have to do what you have to do in there. And it sounds like so many benefits. And what I hear in there too, is that other tenant of structure and function. You know, so we talk about structure and function being reciprocally interrelated. Again, oftentimes we think in the physiology of the body, but again, in the structure of your practice, right? So that way you're able to set it up allows it to function better, right? It's yeah. intended for those purposes, like in your statements, you know, time and access for results. And so then you put the pieces in place to make sure that can happen. And so yeah. how does that work if it's just you, right? And you're being available to your patients. Is that 24 seven? How do you manage Mm -hmm. that aspect of accessibility, which is great for them? Is it still great for you? Um, Most of the time, patients are really respectful as far as, you know, of your time. Um, I do keep my phone on pretty much all the time, but I also have so much of a smaller patient base than I did you know, previously, you know, the average primary care doctor may have three or 4,000 patients, right? Mm-hmm. And the average direct primary care doctor, you know, has like 400, maybe 500 patients. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the number of patients that may be calling you or maybe having somebody, something come up, it's much less. And there are also people that you already know. So it's not like, it's, it's like somebody you want to take care of. It, it's for me, it's always been a different vibe as far as if it's somebody that I know calling me mm-hmm. as that sounds horrible, but different vibe is somebody that I know calling me versus a different random person because I have a relationship with that person. And mm-hmm. I want to help them get taken care of. Uh, also, I think it's really different on the patients and if they know the doctor, I mean, most of the time if somebody's calling me after hours, it's because they're worried about something and they need to know whether or not they need to go to the ER, you know, mm-hmm. either that or it's a worried pa- parent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and those are very, different scenarios than somebody calling you for just a random thing that they could have asked you at three o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. but you know, they didn't care who they were waking up. Right. Yeah. So that's it's, such it's, a beautiful, hasn't, hasn't really been an issue. Such a beautiful illustration of the power of relationship and connection and how that mutual respect actually improves the utilization of your practice. And like you said, when there's that knowing so they know they can reach you at any time. They know they could get in the next day. So even sometimes those later calls, it's like, well, I can wait because, right, if I call in the morning, I can probably get in same day or you know next day. And knowing you and knowing you know them, we do uphold our boundaries more respectfully. And I think that's so beautiful to see. And we've lost that a little bit in that dilution, right, in that you must see so many patients. It's hard, right? And we can still be connected in certain ways when we're in the room and on telemedicine with people but to really know them, you know, and to have mm-hmm. that. And like you said, you show up differently. It's like, well, I'll take that call. Yeah. Cause I know they've thought this through, right. They're not just mindlessly like, let me just quick call this in. And they they're thinking of you, right. Because yeah. they make that connection. And that's really amazing to hear as you move through direct primary care. Are there any pieces that have come up where you have worked to supplement it or grow your practice? Any other directions that have been interesting to you? Um, yeah, actually I have started doing life coaching. 
Mm-hmm. So um, I started down that journey about three years ago. Um, with uh, I first listened to Katrina Ubell's podcast, and then I was like, okay, I wanted to know who her teacher had been, and so that I found Brooks' podcast and mm-hmm. I listened to that for a while. And then I did self coaching scholars for a while, and um, then I stopped doing that, but I continued with the podcast. And then I did Sunny Smith's Empowering Women's Physician Program this summer, mm-hmm. and that was amazing. Um, and worked with you some mm-hmm. there. You did some coaching with me. Thank you. I appreciated your help with that. Mm-hmm. And um, that program was my experience to that program and seeing the help that I had, you know, through that program and the way that some mindset changes helped me to change the way I was thinking about things, change some relationships, change with, you know, with my husband <laughs> changed relationship with some things I had with myself. Um, the coaching has helped me look at, at some things differently in terms of my business. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I really wanted to be able to help bring that to, to other people. So mm-hmm. I, um, as well as it helped me as far as with my clients, you know, because there's a lot of times I'm sorry, my patients, you know, um, because a lot of times when we're, we're dealing with chronic health issues, you know, whether it's diabetes, hypertension, obesity, depression, whatever it is, a lot of times um, the way we're thinking about those problems and thinking about our approach to those problems um, can affect our outcome, right? Mm-hmm. And um, having the time to talk with people about what some of those thought processes are and having more of the training now through going through coach training, um, that's helped me. So uh, that's something else that I'm doing right now is I'm in coach training. So, yeah. And that ability to always keep learning. And I love that we've had the opportunity to be in these mutual circles, you know, through the coaching program and now looking at, you know, entrepreneurial work together and seeing how that all actually builds. And what's been so fascinating for me is to see some of these principles at play, even in the business world, you know, so oftentimes in medicine, we don't think about that aspect, right. And what it means to market and to message, but to learn that it can still come from that place of our mission, you know, and who mm-hmm. we are, I found to be so powerful. And I was actually just talking in a group about, it sounded like osteopathic marketing to me, you know, they're talking about the spirit of the business and, you know, expanding that. And I think you've been in some of Simone Soul's work as well, you know, and she called on that yeah. and I thought, oh, wow, and these principles really can be in other spaces. And so as you've moved maybe beyond, but still with and through medicine, how has it enriched it? Right, to now start thinking in these other mindsets, you know, of a business owner, of a coach, how has that influenced your patient care? Um, well, I guess the thing that comes to my mind when I think about Simone is authenticity. I mean, in terms of being willing to show up and be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I am comfortable with myself and being myself, then I think it's easier for other folks to be open with me about what's going on with themselves, mm-hmm. their self, whatever that word is. <laughs> and um, I think that both helps improve as far as relationships as well as helps improve, you know, patient care. And it's honestly, it's, it's a lot more fun to talk with people when you're not trying to pretend to be somebody that you're not. Mm-hmm. So, I love yeah. that. I just had a similar conversation uh, with a friend recently and, you know, if we're going to, attract people and, you know, repel people for look at the extremes mm-hmm. of it, we might as well do so from our authentic self, 
you know, and, and just let that be who we are. And offering that to patients also invites them to do the same because people can tell, right. You know, they can tell when you're holding back and there can certainly be professional boundaries and still be your whole self. So I'm curious, what part of you has emerged? So as you've welcomed your authentic self, what has maybe reemerged, right? Rekindled that you are so happy to welcome back. <laughs> She's showing well, us on the video here, right? Welcome back. You, you probably can't see this. Yeah, and it's, it's just all life and technicolor. Anyway, right? Yeah. So um, there was a session writing workshop that I did as far as Drew Sunny's program, and um, Elizabeth Gilbert was on, and um, one of the things we had to do was write something about permissions that we gave ourselves to do. And uh, mm-hmm. that was one of the things I wrote is that I was going to I might give myself purple hair, purple highlights. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about doing it for uh, probably about six months. Mm-hmm. And I had tried about a year ago and I had had somebody like dye like the bottom half of my hair pink. Mm-hmm. So if I flipped it up, it would be yeah. purple. Only the purple didn't take. It just looked like mm-hmm. it was a lighter color. brown. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been thinking about it like ever since. And I guess part of what that is was for me also, I mean, it sounds kind of juvenile to be thinking it, but in medicine, um, what is considered to be professional tends to be kind of vanilla flavored mm-hmm. as opposed to, at least I was never um, in training encouraged to, um, show any of my individuality, Mm -hmm. right? And that was something that I think was kind of coming from that was from the program and where I think the purple hair came from was kind of me giving myself permission to do what I wanted in an authentic way, just kind of Mm -hmm. say, hey, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And um, I realized that I was was kind of, so I turned 50 this year. Ooh, you you know, did or you're going to? I, I did. You did. I did. All right. Awesome birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and it was like when I was thinking about it, I'm like, oh man, how crazy is that that I'm 50 and I'm still feeling like I need to give myself permission to dye my hair purple. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do it. So mm-hmm. um, I've been having fun with it. And you know what? The crazy thing, I had so many mental hangups in terms of, oh, what were other people going to think? And I somehow haven't gotten any negative <laughs> comments or feedback at all. <laughs> Yeah, my mom mm-hmm. said she liked it. <laughs> Bonus. There you go. <laughs> yeah, my mom, my mom, who's in her mid seventies, who mm-hmm. has never dyed her hair any color in her life, mm-hmm. um, who I know had disliked some other people's hair colors when they had dyed their color. Mm-hmm. She dyed. She she said she actually liked it. Mm-hmm. So Love I it. and I, yeah. So I was I was I wasn't looking for her approval, but mm-hmm. I was happy to take her compliment. Yes. That's beautiful. Write that one down, everyone. I'm not looking for approval, but taking the compliment, right? Totally different experience. And there it was. That's amazing. And how do you feel when you're in clinic with purple hair? And how does that radiate through your practice? Um, Honest, this is going to sound silly, but honestly, I feel a little more confident. It's like, hey, this is me, right? Mm -hmm. Um. I've had some people when we're doing video visit, they're like, Hey, wait, is your hair purple? (laughs) (laughs) Like, yes, you Mm -hmm. like it, you know? Um, but it's actually all, everybody's come across in terms of like a positive tone when they've asked. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and if they didn't like, they've kept it to yourself. Hasn't been a problem. And so I've just been happy with my purple hair. 
Yeah. Isn't that amazing, right? All the barriers we construct in our lives, like stay here, stay here, stay here. And it's like, no, I could be all the places and me in all the places. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many barriers that we put in front of ourselves that are like Mm self-opposed. And I mean, that's one of the things that I really liked about coaching in terms of being able to try to take a, you know, take the circumstance and try and take a look at what are my thoughts about a situation and see how this affects my feelings and the actions and the results and realizing that I may not have control over the situation. The situation is what it is, but Mm -hmm. where my power is in the whole situation, where everybody else's power is, is that they can work on their thoughts. And Mm -hmm. by doing that, it can help change their feelings and their end results. Yeah. And even those little things, right? So just taking the control over the color of your hair, right? Builds evidence Mm -hmm. for that. You're like, oh, yeah, yes. I can make this decision and I can like this decision, right? And look right. what happens. So I, I show up in this totally exactly. new way. And you might not have thought, you might have thought purple hair would be like rebellious, but you felt confident, you know? And so just yeah. seeing what can come of that because you have the thought, I can do whatever I want, right? Like I can make right. my own choices. And that's so beautiful to see that. So here we are. See, health of all things, we're talking about purple hair and it all still counts. It's so <laughs> amazing. So what's coming up for you right now? Anything exciting? Is your practice growing? How is this? I imagine, I picture you being in the community. So when you have that dedication to give people the time they need to get the results they want and you're lowering prices for labs and making care accessible, it sounds like someone who's involved in their community and that may be an assumption, but that's what I hear. And do you see that emerging? And how might that look in the time of COVID and stay-at-home orders? Well, I mean, some people are accessing, a lot more people are accessing healthcare as far as through telemedicine than there was before. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I'd been doing telemedicine before. So that pivot was pretty easy, mm-hmm. um, thankfully. So um, in terms of getting out in the community in the time of COVID, that's kind of hard, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I am trying to protect myself the best I can and trying to protect other people the best they, you know, best I can and try to encourage people to protect themselves. So, mm-hmm. um, part of what I'm, part of what I do is educate people, you know, I have a lot of questions from people coming in in terms about, you know, COVID, you know, what does it mean if they might've been exposed? What does it mean if they have a negative test? Um, people who are going to urgent care and getting a test and then not being sure how to, interpret it. Mm-hmm. They have a test result, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so doing a lot of talking with people about, you know, things like that. And when they do actually do have COVID, um, then trying to be with them during mm-hmm. that time to try to help support them, monitor her health needs and um, help them have the best outcome they can. Yeah. Yeah. It is a challenging time. And the education is key, especially as, you know, mandates and regulations and recommendations shift moment to moment. So to be able to champion those and interpret them for people is a huge service. Yeah. We've heard this some in what you have mentioned, you know, both for yourself and seeing those different needs of the patients outside of just the clinical space and body, mind, and spirit, right? That unity concept and how I heard that mentioned in marketing how do you see that emerge either for yourself or for your patients that you're really called to be attentive to all of that, right? Body, mind, and spirit when we're caring for ourselves or for someone else. Well, I mean, that I tend to take a look at people's mental health status and try to include that um, as well as their, their values and interests when we're trying to come up with a 
you know, what they want to work on or what their goals are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that was one of the things that led me to going to direct primary care in the past is that I kept on trying to, and trying to pull those things in. I never quite seemed to have the time to do mm-hmm. it. So then I always ran behind and the patients would wait for me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but I didn't like having to have the patients wait. The, you know, the office didn't like to have the patients wait, but I wasn't able to schedule people in the way they needed to be scheduled. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I really find it in terms of if people don't have those other things addressed, you know, yeah. you know, if they aren't um, doing things to improve their mental health um, or if they are, have cut off a part of them that is part of their spirituality, you know, and mm-hmm. that's something, something that they valued if they've cut that off, um, it makes it harder for them to get to the goals mm-hmm. that they want to get to. I mean, you really have to kind of look at a balance. You know, it's, it's not just about taking a pill, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and unfortunately, that's a lot of what um, some doc- that's kind of what the way some doctors have to practice these days. You know, mm-hmm. if you have only have five or 10 minutes with somebody and you've got three health conditions you're trying to address, you don't have it's hard really to, to make headway in addressing any of them the way they need to be addressed. Absolutely. And hearing those unique ways to do it, right? Inviting the patients to be the authentic selves nourishes the spirit yeah. and lends itself in and living that by example, I think is so powerful. Well, we've heard it a lot of different ways, but I wonder what your consideration is and how you see yourself for the health of all things. Um, well, I would say the biggest thing would be trying to provide access as far as to care and to provide an environment where people are able to be their authentic selves and not feel judged, um, Mm -hmm. whether they've dealt with issues with um, addiction or if they're dealing with obesity or anxiety, um, that they're really able to to open themselves up um, and to be honest with themselves and with me in terms of where they are and where they're trying to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can help them get there Yeah, so we can go together mm-hmm. in that direction. Yeah. And you can feel that. So that idea, right. That the health of all things means you can come as you are, right. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to look a certain way and there's nothing wrong, right. That's so powerful and echoes that inherent self-healing capacity, right. It's okay. Like it's in there and we'll bring it forth together. Thank you for such a beautiful interpretation. I'd love for you to tell our listeners where they can find you. So if you're in Northern Kentucky, amazing resource, right? Too good to be true, but yeah. it's true. So engage yeah. with that. And also in the online world, you know, so please share your resources and I'll also post them in our show notes. Yeah. Okay, great. So my practice is health connections, direct primary care. Okay. Um, my website is <laughs> www.healthconnections that has an S on it. Connections, DPC as in direct primary care.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I, the coaching business that I was telling you I was starting about, that is um, Coach Cynthia MD. And mm-hmm. um, both of my practices are on Facebook. And if you want to um, send me an email, um, you can send it to my um, health connections email address, which is a little bit long, but it'll be in the show notes if you mm-hmm. can't get this all. Yeah. Um, it's C, B C, that's first initial last name. That's V I L L A C I S M D as a medical doctor mm-hmm. at healthconnectionsdpc.com. 
Yeah, we can handle long names here, right? This osteopathic life, neuromuscular cell, the medicine, we're all about the multi-syllable yeah. <laughs> names and connections. Well, thank you so much for being here and for such great messaging and the work that you're doing. It's encouraging. And I hope many more will follow suit and prioritize access time and results for their patients and for themselves. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.